What are your obligations? That's a crazy, insightful, maybe a question you don't want to ask or answer. We've been as asking lots of different questions uh, this year um, and dealing with, um, got to get everything situated up here. Uh, dealing with our walk with God, dealing with our life with Christ, dealing with the different things that we're dealing with. What is our obligation? That's a great question. Obligation, you know, we think about obligation. We don't like to be obligated to things, do we? We don't like to have obligations, and yet we do it all the time. We obligate ourselves, like, right, when you put money on a credit card or you get a loan or you buy a new car or you or we, we do all sorts of different things, right? We need a new TV, and so, of course, you need a new TV. You need, you know, new apps and new, uh, you know, new streaming services because we don't have cable anymore. So <laughs> we have all sorts of different obligations. We obligate ourselves to things all the time. Um, and in our text, um, Paul is going to be talking about obligations, so we're really asking that question question. The world sees obligation. They say uh, it's defined as the uh, condition of being morally or legally bound to do something. Um, and so it's, it's more than legally bound to do something or a debt of gratitude or service or favor. And so we talk about this. And um, so obligation is important because it really directs our focus. We don't really understand it. We think about this new life that God has purchased for us through the blood of Christ, through his resurrection when he defeated sin and he became our, what we've been studying in Sunday school, our propitiation, our stand-in. He took all of God's wrath for us. He was the payment for our sin and took God's wrath and so now, what does that mean? What does our life look like? Well, the reality is, is that we realize we were under the obligation of the sinful flesh. We were obligated to it. But now what does that mean now that we are in Christ? We, we have this new life in Christ, or we're unified to Christ. What is our union with Christ? What does that do? Does obligation go out the door? Um, do we have a duty? Um, is obligation the same as duty? And I would say no, it's, it's, it's slightly different. So we're going to talk about that this morning. So let's read our text. We're going to be looking um, this morning. I'm, hopefully we'll be carrying the same fervor and we'll keep getting out. You notice we've been getting out a little earlier and a little earlier and a little earlier because I've been cutting down, you know, two verses instead of six verses uh, taking only a couple points versus 20 points, but I got 20 pages of notes, so I'm trying to talk fast this morning. So if I talk so fast that you don't understand something, feel free to ask me after the service. But I want to try to be very concise about what, what God is trying to teach us about our walk with him, our sanctification, becoming more like him each day as he is unified to our life. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for our text this morning. Thank you that you share some very poignant things about our life that we are living right now. And what does that mean that we are dealing with our sin? How do we deal with sin? 
How do we deal with sinful desires? And so, Lord, what does that look like? Our union with you, but yet we're still living here on this earth that's filled with sin. In fact, our body, our flesh still desires sinful things. How do we deal with that now that we are in Christ? Lord, help us to see that, the importance of what living by the Spirit and being controlled by the Spirit or our union with you, what, how important that really is in our life and this idea of obligation. So answer these questions for us as we read your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'm gonna go back to verse five to get this idea because Paul is gonna be pulling out and explaining this idea of, of the death of the flesh or that the flesh produces death and the spirit produces life. And he's gonna be explaining that a little bit further this morning. He says in verse five, he says, for those who live according to the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their mind on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. That's that unifying relationship with the Lord. Peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you, you however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Here's our text this morning. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But, I like that, but if by the spirit you will put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Wow. Wow. That's an important thing. Did you get that in the very beginning? So then, brothers, because of what the Spirit does for us and the life that we have because of the Spirit, because the flesh brings death, but the, the things of the Spirit brings life, it says, so then, we are debtors. And that word means obligators. We're obli we have an obligation. We are debtors. It's quite a statement. There was a professor when I... Back in the day, we asked, you know, you hear everybody ask the professors, what's your favorite book? What book really meant something to you that you read? What book really helped you in your life? And this professor, without hesitation, replied, John Owen's Temptation and Sin. Uh, another one of, uh, another person I talked to uh, a while back, he said, you know, uh, the Puritan, not I always have to say this, not our Thomas Watson, because we have a Thomas back here, uh, also named Watson. But uh, Thomas Watson, the Puritan, wrote The Mortification of Sin. And uh, Richard Sibbs also wrote another one on killing sin. But Owens, he wrote over 300 pages 
on just what it means to starve to death on to starve to death sin and the indwelling sin in your life. On just that topic, 300 pages. And it's like reading Latin. Um, it's, a, it's a tough go. It's slogging through the mud. Those of you that work with animals in the mud, you know what I'm, what I'm talking about. You lose your boots a few times. You, you have to go back and find them. Sometimes you have to do that. You have to go back and read the sentence again. It's like, I got lost in that sentence. I, uh, I have read one chapter of John Owens for an entire like six months, and I got, I said, I just, I can't understand this. I put it aside, and I read, I kept reading, and I got to the last chapter of the book of John Owens, and I realized the last chapter helped me understand the first chapter. I was like, so sometimes you just have to keep going. But he really wrote, and he says, John Owens' whole principle is like the life, you need to understand that your life with Christ is really is centered on the fact of, of killing sin in your life. The more you kill sin, the more you realize the importance and the joy that you have in Christ. Sometimes we go through the life, living our Christian life, and we just struggle, and we're down, we're depressed, we're just, the burdens are pushing us down, and, and we are slogging through mud as a believer, and we really struggle. And we realize it's because we really don't understand our union with Christ. We're not living, mortifying, or killing the sin in our life and enjoying Christ. It's like washing, you know, the more that we take care of the mud, the more that we get to enjoy things. That's the way it is at our house. It's like, not water, it's mud. The more I take care of mud, the more I enjoy my animals. The more I have mud, the more I have to work at, at killing that mud. I'm always, there's a new way, right? I'm always trying to figure out, how can I get rid of the mud, right? That's, that's my whole life. And then it's like, during the summer, it's like, because ah, there's no mud. But here's the thing. That's the thing with our life. The sin and the flesh, our flesh just weighs us down, and we really don't enjoy the life that God has given us. Paul's point here is, is very the same thing. We are debtors, not to the flesh. Because if we live according to the flesh, we really are dead. But we are in the spirit, which gives us life. The death in, in uh, 8.13, in, in 13 it says, you will die, is the same as in verse 6. It's not talking about a physical death, although we will all die, but it's talking about a, a spiritual death, an eternal separation from God. If we live in the flesh, if we are under the flesh, that means we're truly separated from God. But if we are in the spirit, then we belong to God. Here's the main point that Paul is driving at. Your sin, kill your sin or it will kill you. That's what's... That's what sin is. We are in a battle with our sin. And without Christ, it's a battle you can't win. And yet it's amazing how much now as a believer, we think that we can kill the sin in our life and we try to do it without Christ. We try to live our life doing all sorts of great things or good things. And, and if I just follow rules or I do this or I do that, then we will kill our sin. But that is not the case. 
we can't live our life apart from Christ. In fact, with, apart from Christ, there is no life. That's what Paul is trying to get at. Martin Lloyd-Jones said about this text, he says, it is here for the first time in this chapter that we come to the realm of practical application. He says this is really, now we're getting into the nitty-gritty. This is practical. This is, tuck this away as here's what you need to do in life. He says, all we have had up to this point has been a general description of the Christian, his character, and now and his position in the Lord, because he's been justified in Christ, by Christ. He says, Martin Lloyd Jones says, but now the apostle Paul has really come ex- expect, excitedly, expectedly to the doctrine of sanctification. Here we are told exactly how, in practice, the Christian becomes sanctified. Or, to state it differently, here we are told in detail and in practice how the Christian is to wage battle against sin. This is, God is trying to tell us, this is what he wants us to know about the battle of the life that we are now living because of Christ, because of what Christ has done for us, our union with Christ. A lot of times we get saved and we think, okay, I'm saved and now the battle's over, right? We know the victory's been won. It's true. At the, 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 the finish line has been set and Christ has finished the, the race, but he, Paul says, I'm still in a race. We're still here. So now what? And he's answering that to the Romans because they live in a society that is frankly, not that different than ours. God is telling us here in our passage exactly what he said in Galatians 6, 8. For the one who sows of his flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. That's, you will decay and die. That's exactly what Paul is saying here in Romans, in Romans 8. And he says, but the one who sows of the flesh will from the spirit reap eternal life. There's just two ways to live with only two outcomes. Two ways to live. A lot of people say there's many ways to live. No, there's only two. One that's according to the flesh and the other one that's according to Christ, according to his spirit. One reaps death. The other one reaps life. Charles Simeon, pastor and theologian, he wrote in in another commentary, he says, either sin must like he said, must, not should, it's must, be our enemy or God will. Do you hear the seriousness in that statement? If we don't, if sin isn't our enemy, then God becomes our enemy. He says that in James chapter 4. He says if we try to make friends with the world, we really are saying that God is our enemy. I like James because it's really straightforward and to the point. Just like this this, uh, statement here. And I want to consider three points about our obligations. Uh, they, I don't think they're fill-ins, but they're there for you. Remember that our obligation is not to the flesh, but to the Lord. When we go back, look at verse 12. He says there in the ESV, but in other translations it says obligation. But it says, so then, brothers, we are debtors. The term there is we are under obligation. 
That's what debtors means, or under obligation. By the way, obligation is different than duty. I want, to, I want you to see the subtle difference. A duty is something in which you're supposed to do. Oftentimes, as a Christian, we think, oh, I have this duty to live a good life. I have a duty to just be a, a certain way. And that's, these are things I'm supposed to do. But the thing is, is sometimes the things that we're supposed to do, we what? Don't do. Or feelings and emotions come along, and I was like, I know I'm supposed to do this, but I feel this way. And so we actually, we place ourselves under the obligation of those feelings. They take priority. The things that we see in the world, we know if I, if I do this, then I'm going to miss out on this. See, sometimes duty gets lost to other obligations. Duty is not obligation. It's, you know, but here's the idea of what it means to be under obligation or to be a debtor's. Obligation indicates that someone has already done something for you and now you have, you're expected to respond to what that person did or that gift and you're responsible to live accordingly. There's a response and responsibility. So it's based on something that someone has done. It's not based on what you have to do. It's not based on a duty. It's you're looking at what somebody has done for you. And so this is the reality is, is, is God is trying to teach us here that we're not under the obligation of the flesh. He focuses on, hey, by the way, remember, we're not over here with the flesh anymore. Now that I've justified you, I've saved you, I've put you in, I've adopted you, you're in a new family, you're in a new position under Christ because of his work. You, we owe the flesh absolutely nothing. We're no longer under the flesh. We're no longer, it's, our life is not according to desires. When it says the flesh, here in verse 12, uh, to live according to the flesh, we're no longer focusing, we're no longer under desires and self-centered and, and rebellion and opposition to God. We're no longer under the category of an enemy to the Lord, but we're now in, uh, united in Him. We're no longer living according to the flesh. But the fact is, as Paul is talking to us as believers, when he's saying here, we're no longer living according to the flesh because we don't owe anything to the flesh. But it's funny, what we're talking about under the obligation, get this, what he's really pointing to is, is those desires, those things, those, those feelings and those emotions that are controlled by the sinful flesh, we're not under that obligation anymore. We don't owe it anything. You know what the flesh does for us? It kills us. It separates us from God. The, fe- the flesh is ugly. It's the, the sinful desires, the ungodly motives, the ungodly affections, the ungodly principles and purposes, the ungodly words, the ungodly actions that sin generates through our fleshly bodies. To live continually according to flesh is to completely ruled and controlled by the flesh. That means that you're not saved, is what Paul is saying. It's, 
It's not giving us a new category of a a carnal Christian or an unhealthy, sinful Christian. This will lead to death. By You get to verse 13, he says, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. The idea is, the inference here is, is that we owe God everything. If we owe the flesh absolutely nothing, then we owe God everything. That's Paul's point. By implication, we owe God everything. We are under the obligation of what he's done for us. We're under the obligation that he died on the cross for our sin and rose again, taking the full stent of God's wrath. Because before our salvation, we were enemies to God, but now he has made peace by the blood of the Lamb. We're under that obligation. We have a new relationship with Christ, with God. We owe him. Now we are indebted to the Holy Spirit for all that he has done and will do through us. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19, it says, For do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is within you, who resides in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You have been bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. You have been bought with a price, so then glorify God. The point is, is that we have got to set our minds and realize who are we obligated to? We have got to stop living like we're obligated to the flesh because we are not. Because if you are a believer, you are in Christ and unified with Christ. He died, so we die to the flesh. He died and he rose again, conquering death. And so we raise with him, being baptized in his life, to a new life, being born again into a life with God. 1 Timothy 2, 18 through 19, as Paul's talking to Timothy about the church in Ephesus, he said, but God's firm foundation stands, bearing his seal. Bearing his seal is talking about bearing the mark of the Holy Spirit in your life. He says, the Lord knows who are his. The Lord knows who is his. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Interesting. Those who name the name of the Lord, those who take on the name, so whoever calls themselves a Christian, let them depart from iniquity. There's a new obligation. Glorify God. Depart from iniquity. We have a new life in Christ that is under a different obligation. You'll be, that's the thing. So you've heard the term, you know, who are you serving? Because everybody serves somebody. Well, here's a new one. You are all under obligation. You are going to either be under the flesh or under Christ and his spirit. The other thing I want you to observe is this, is that understand that the horrific consequences, if you do not kill the sinful flesh, it will kill you. If you don't, you don't starve out and destroy or kill the flesh, if that's not your aim in life, then it's going to pull you down and kill you. Pull you down is desensitized. What I mean by pull you down, it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to destroy you. 
In verse 13, the very first, it says, For, we're not under the obligation of the flesh, For, if you are living according to the flesh, you will die. The literal Greek is this, You are about to die. It implies that there is still time to repent and invert, avert the horrific consequences. But the statement is this, as if you are not in Christ and you are, you are dead in your sin and trespasses. The wages of sin is death. He's talking about eternal death and separation from Christ. He's not talking about that if, if you don't live your life killing sin, then you will He's not talking about you will lose your salvation. That means you just, if you live your whole life being obligated to sin, and you're not, if you're not obligated in living for Christ, you're going to be under the flesh. It means you never were a believer in the first part. I can't tell you how many people I have met and known and counseled that have lived their whole life believing they were a believer because they said, I know that there, is, that there is a Christ. I know that there is a Savior. And they live their whole life believing that they're good. But they've been in the flesh the whole time. And their whole life never looked about. They never, if you're under Christ, you will look like that you're trying to get rid of the sin in your life. You will never be comfortable with the sin in your life. He's saying that a person whose life is continually characterized by the things of the flesh is not a believer, but is spiritually dead. No matter how much religion, no matter how good he does, he, it'll, he is death. Death is a strong word. If you make peace with your flesh instead of war with your flesh, that means you're dead. It's the frog in the kettle, right? You throw the frog in the, if you take a boiling water and throw a frog in it, what does it do? It jumps out, right? If you put your hand in boiling water, you, you remove it really quick, right? But if you put your hand in the water while it's cold and then start to boil it, you put it on a flame, before you know it, you're burnt. The frog will die. It'll cook to death before... By by the time he realizes he needs to get out, it's too late. He can't. That happens when we try to make, when we make peace with this world and we make peace with the sinful flesh and the desires of the flesh, rather than making war, we really are spiritually dead. He wants us to view this as mortal combat. We need to mortify the flesh. We need to be about killing the flesh. Paul says the same thing in in Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 8. He says, therefore, put to death the members which are upon the earth, your your earthly flesh, those earthly things that are immortal, impure, um, passions, evil desires, and greed, and all the things that are idolatry. For because of it, these things, the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. John Piper said in in an article about killing sin, how to kill sin, he explains, putting death, the deeds of the body, by the spirit. He said this, the daily practice of killing sin 
in your life is the result of being justified and the evidence that you are justified by faith alone, apart from the works of the law. And he added this, if you are not at odds with sin, you are not at home with Jesus. If you're at home with Jesus, we're going to automatically be at odds with sin. Not not because being at odds with sin makes you at home with Jesus, but because being at home with Jesus makes you at odds with sin. James Boyce puts it really bluntly, and he said this. He says, Paul is saying that if you live like a non-Christian, dominated by your sinful nature and the desires of the flesh, rather than living according to the Holy Spirit, you will perish like a non-Christian. Because you are a non-Christian. A life unchecked, a life of unchecked sin leads to eternal death. That's, this is the reality. A life of unchecked sin leads to spiritual death. That's what he's saying. That's what John was saying. That's what Paul is trying to tell us here. The other thing is this, is that sin is not neutral, by the way. It's not neutral. It's not like you have death over here, you know, the, that we're in. Wages of sin is death. It's not that sin is... That's here, and then sin is right here, and then, you know, it's not in this neutral ground between death and and Christ, death and life. It's not neutral, and it definitely does not play nice, just to put it bluntly. Sin, the sinful desires, desires that wage in your flesh are not nice. It's going to keep you from Christ. God wants us to kill it. But guess what? He says there only can kill it because of the spirit that resides in you. Right? So if you don't have Christ, if you're really not saved and the Holy Spirit is not living in you, you will not kill sin. You're just going to play nice with sin. But sin will not play nice with you. You ever had those kind of friends? That you're like, wow, he's a cool person. I'm going I'm to try to be, I'm going to play nice with him but you always end up getting beat up by something or you, you always get the brunt or you always end up having to pay the, you know, the food. You know, you, you, you always... You, the, the, but the friend never plays nice, right? We've all had acquaintances like that. We try to play nice. It's not going to happen. You cannot play nice with the flesh. You can't walk this line and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk, walk on the fence and try to be nice and be neutral with the flesh and the desires of the flesh, the sinful things of this world, and expect that you're going to come out clean. Right? If you walk on my farm, I guarantee you might step on something. Right? It's not as bad as it used to be because, you know, we don't have the turkeys running around and the ducks and the... Chickens are all in their pens right now. So we don't have a lot of those kind of problems. But, but I remember a lot of people used to walk out there, and it's like, there's a reason we check our shoes at the door. Because playing around in our property, you're going you're gonna to step with something. Well, you, if you live in this world, you're going to step in it. You cannot play nice with sin. Satan, that's one of his schemes. He, is, he tries to minimize this, 
the serious nature of sin. And he, Satan is an angel of light. He's not going to make sin and the, and the desires of the flesh look ugly and smell ugly. At least at my house, if it smells, stay away from it, right? Unless it's the smoker that's smoking the meat. You, you'll know the, notice the difference. There's two smells at our house, right? Both that come from the animals. One is great. The other one is not. After the animal is sacrificed, it's beautiful. <laughs> after, our, after the sacrifice of Christ, he purifies. He begins to purify our life. Satan seriously wants us to believe that the desires, it looks good, it smells good, it, it feels good, it must be good, but we get stuck in that trap and we step in it and it hurts us. Sin is a big deal. I like this story about a French aristocrat, right? A French aristocrat. It's not, I don't like it just because he's French, and I don't like it just because he's an aristocrat. Wealthy Frenchman, politically and rich. His name, you know, Baron Richard Darcy. He's a baron, landowner. He, he basically, he had a two-year-old lion as a pet. He raised this lion. He used to keep this lion in the bathroom at night. I don't know why. I don't know if he made the bed in the tub. I don't know if that was that. He was an aristocrat. Maybe the bathroom was just solely for that lion. It could be very well be. If you've been to France, you know that they, you know, aristocrats, they have lots of rooms, lots of bathrooms. But one night, June, this was recently, June, well, recent for some of us, not so recent for the rest of you. But one night in June 1977, the Baron tried to make his pet go into the bathroom, right? He tried to make it, but the lion refused. He died. He was clawed to death. Not because the animal hated him, but because the animal refused to do what he wanted. Sin does that to us all the time. We make friends. We think it's a pet. Those passions and desires in your life it's going to claw you to death. You will die. That's what the world is facing. That's what our neighbors are facing. That's what unbelievers are facing. They're trying to make peace with sin and the desires of their flesh. Just do whatever feels right to you. And we get pulled into it all the time as believers. Indwelling sin is like that lion. It, be, it might be play nice at first, it may cuddle up to you at first, but man, watch out, because Satan is like a roaring lion seeking who he can devour. The point is this. John Owens, Thomas Watson, Paul is saying, kill your sin or it's going to kill you. That's that third point, is that kill your sinful flesh by the Spirit and you will live. John Owens, he says in, uh, in John Owens in his, in his Temptation of Sin, he says, when sin lets us alone, we, we may let sin alone. Mortification of sin halts sin's force. Killing sin halts its force 
but does, I've tried to translate some of this, but does not change its nature. I want you to think about that. Mortification of sin, when we try to kill sin in our life, it may halt its force, but it does not change its nature. Grace changes the nature of man, but nothing can change the nature of sin. Destroy it, maybe it shall be, but cure it, it cannot be. If it is not overcome and destroyed, it will overcome and destroy the soul. And herein lies no small part of its power. It, that is sin, never quits. It is never quiet. Whether it's conquering or conquered, do you mortify? Do you kill it? Do you make it your daily work? Be always at it while you live. Cease not a day from this work. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. This reminds me back to something I said five years ago. We need to preach the gospel to us every single day. Are you preaching? When you wake up in the morning, are you preaching the gospel? Are you going through the gospel and the reality of what God has done for you? It changes the way we respond to our life. When he says, by the Spirit, you know how we kill sin? It's by the Spirit. By the Spirit equals to rely on the Holy Spirit. Are you relying on the Spirit? The Holy Spirit, by the way, is not a tool that we use. It's not relying on saying, oh yeah, I have a tool to kill the Spirit or to kill the the sin in my life. What it means is, is, as a person, are you trusting in the Holy Spirit to actually do the work? That's what he means by the Spirit. It is God who work is God who is at work in you. That's what Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. He says, So then, my brethren, beloved brethren, just as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but, much, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That means preach the gospel to you every day in fear and trembling. And then he says, for it is God who is at work in you, both to his will and to work for his good pleasure. You notice he's saying, don't, you're not just, I hope you're not just being obedient when I'm around, right? Don't we say that to our kids? I hope you're not just obedient when you see me. I hope you're living obediently when I don't see you. Because it's the Holy Spirit, it's the gospel that God has given you. When God saved you, this good news that he dealt with your sin. And he's, now it's God who is at work in you for him. It is God's work. Are you trusting in that work? That's why James said, when you face trials, we... we We have joy when we face trials because we know that God's at work. Are you trusting that, that God's at work? Are you trusting that when you're going through hard consequences in your life, that are are you saying that God is at work? I'm trusting the Spirit. Or are you putting yourself back under the flesh and say, it doesn't feel good, so I'm going to do whatever I want to do. I have a right to do whatever I want to do because of the circumstance of my life. Or are you saying, I trust 
in the wisdom of God and what he wants to do in my life. Are you trusting the Holy Spirit? Matthew Henry, in his commentary, he says, we cannot do it with, we cannot kill, basically, sin. We cannot do it without the Spirit working in us. And the Spirit will not do it without our doing our endeavor in pursuing the Spirit. We have an obligation to the Spirit. Ironically, one of the fruits of the Spirit is this, right? One of the fruit, one of the byproduct, the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. When we rely on the Spirit, He gives us the power to control ourselves. When we trust the Spirit, He gives us the ability to control ourselves, which includes killing our sin. But if we rely on ourselves, we can't do that. When He says, kill the flesh, it means to cut it to cut off sin before it goes anywhere. Have you ever dealt with vines, ivy, you know? If you cut off the leaves of the ivy, what happens? It grows back. We, I, I'll never forget when I, we moved into our very first home in Eureka, California, never cold. And I don't, I, I, we got frost, but it never really froze. The ground never froze, so we, had, we lived on one giant anthill because it never froze, and it never really got hot. I remember the first time it got 80. I burnt so bad because it got 80 degrees. It was like, oh my goodness, there's sun. <laughs> but it just was never hot, never cold. Its average temperature is 55 degrees. That's the average. Here's the thing. We had ivy like growing like mad in the backyard, but we didn't even know that we had a carport. Until I removed the ivy, and I was like, whoa, there's a slab there, and there's, there's a whole carport. We can actually use it. It was like, whoa. I was like, what is that tree in our backyard? There's this, it was one, can you imagine a 30-foot tree that is solid ivy? I spent months going up and pulling out ivy after ivy after ivy. Yeah. You know, the, the, bottom of the, the bottom of the tree looked like it was five foot in diameter. I couldn't even see the actual tree trunk. We, didn't, we wondered. We thought, what kind of tree is this? We asked the neighbors, what kind of tree is it? They said, I don't know. It's just had ivy in it the whole time I've known it. It's just big one giant thing of ivy. They never knew what kind of tree it was. At the bottom, as I started pulling rocks and leaves and ivy and branches away, there were roots around the bottom of the tree that big around. Can you imagine? We're talking about English ivy. I had to use a chainsaw. to. I couldn't clip it. I couldn't. I had to use a chainsaw to cut out the ivy. And guess what? For the rest of our life, because we couldn't dig underneath the tree, the roots of the tree, by the way, it was a cherry tree. It was gorgeous. It was beautiful. Nobody in the neighborhood knew what it was. And they were like, and all of a sudden, we started getting fruit off the tree. And then our backyard was dirty. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> you know, cherry tree pits, and kids thought it was great. You know, it was great ammo for playing tag with. And, you know, we just we started, but we had a whole new backyard. But for the rest of our life, because we couldn't dig Underneath the roots of that tree, we had ivy growing. It was easy to pull out, 
because we, we cut out as much of the root as we could and tried to kill it. When it says here in verse 13, it's, it, it says, you know, but if you live by the Spirit, if you're in the Spirit, relying, trusting in the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. It means to, when it says put to death, it means to cut off sin. You'll cut off the sin. When he says the deeds of the body, you're cutting off those roots, you're cutting out those roots. That's the problem with a lot of, a lot of people. We don't, we don't know who they are, we don't know what their life, there's no fruit in their life because they're being killed by the sinful flesh. What he's saying, Paul is saying, don't be a slave to the natural desires of your eye. The whole point of this is not to say that, you know, we need to continually be allowing, pursue, trust the Holy Spirit, pursue the Holy Spirit, because we're no longer a slave to the flesh. Don't be obligated to the flesh, because we're not living according to flesh, because now we have the Holy Spirit. Don't be a slave to the natural desires of the body. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9 that we read this morning, he says, so I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body to keep it under control lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified or brought down by sin. He said this word, he says, I discipline my body. It literally, you know what the word discipline my body means? It literally means to hit the eye to hit, it's to box. It's like, you know, when you're boxing and the boxer hits the, right at the temple, what happens? It's lights out. You get knocked out. You, you aim right here. If you can hit a guy hard enough right here, it knocks them, that knocks them out. That's exactly in the Greek what it's talking about. It literally means to hit under the eye. What he's talking about, figuratively, he's saying to knock out the body's impulse so that these impulses do not prevent me from sharing the gospel. That's exactly what he's saying. I discipline my body. That's my responsibility. So why? To keep it under control. So the Holy Spirit will keep my life in control. Here's the question. So are you a slave to your body? Does the body, does your natural impulses of your body give it, give you orders? A holy life, a godly life without a controlled body is an absolute contradiction. It can't happen. So here there's a difference. He is focusing on the body as an instrument through which the sinful deeds of the flesh are expressed. We got to knock it out. We got to be responsible. We're under this obligation to trust the Spirit so that way we can knock out those desires. If we do not pursue the Spirit, those impulses will run out of control. And there's a lot of us that live that way. We don't trust the Spirit in our life. In short, it's not enough for us to have the Spirit. Paul is teaching that it's mandatory that the Spirit must have us. 
right? Are you, you don't grab the Spirit. The Spirit grabs a hold of us, is what he's saying. Here's the conclusion. Kill sin daily, killing sin daily, trusting the Holy Spirit to kill sin daily will result not just in living, but in a real quality life. Did you see what he said at the, verse, at the end of verse 13? But, because we're not on the flesh, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. By the way, it's the same word that Jesus used for abundant life. It's actually a quality life, the real quality life, not your quality of life, not the world's quality of life, but real living. Walking in step, trusting the Holy Spirit, by seek, is, by, is seeking the things of the Spirit. If you're going to walk in step with the Spirit, if you're going to trust the Holy Spirit, you've got to pursue the Holy Spirit. Are you in his word? Are you listening to him? We read the word to listen to the Lord, to trust the Lord. We're trusting the Lord with our life. Or are you listening to the, the impulses of your body? Are you listening to the impulses of your flesh? Are you listening to the impulses in this world? They are deceiving you. They are lions wanting to destroy you. You will listen to the impulses of your body if you're not trusting the Spirit. Are you purposefully dis disciplining yourself? Are you pursuing the Spirit? That's what Paul's talking about. He disciplines himself. He doesn't just box in the air like he's doing. You know, he's not, it's not vain. He's actually hitting something. He's responding to his obligation, and that is to trust the Spirit that now resides in him. How's your prayer life? Have you found a partner yet to read through the Bible together? You know why a, the partner, you know, a sparring partner is great, right? A boxer sparring in the, in the ring by himself is the one who's boxing in, with just the air. You don't really know what's going on until you face an opponent. And a sparring partner who's willing to show you where you're weak and help you. Galatians 6 says, you who are spiritual who are actually spiritual, walking in the Spirit, walking by the Spirit, trusting the Spirit, pick up those who have been caught in trespasses of sin, who the impulses of their flesh has brought them down. Now you who are trusting in the Spirit, grab those and help them so that you carry them with you as you're walking, trusting, so that they can learn to trust the Spirit again. How's your prayer life? What are you putting your trust in? That's all. This is really the key to destroying our flesh. Those desires, our flesh is always there, so the impulses and desires will always be there unless you trust the Spirit. He will kill it. Who are you walking with today? Who's your life with today? Let's pray. Lord, I, I pray that what Paul is saying here, this, 
this important, the seriousness of this, that we would realize this, that would be impressed upon our heart, that we can't walk according to the flesh. That's not who we are. If we, if we claim to be a believer, if we claim to have been saved from our sins, that we know that Christ paid for our sins, if, if that is us, we can't let the flesh be the driving force and impulse of our life. It doesn't give us power. It gives us corruption and death. That's not who our life is supposed to be following. If that is the pattern of our life, if, if, we, if, we, if there's someone here that realizes that that's my pattern of life, is my flesh. I, I, it's the impulses. I, I'm following only the impulses of the flesh, of the natural desires, and, and I'm not following naturally the desires of, of the Lord. It's not saying, I'm not saying that you're, it's not about being perfect. It's that you're not comfortable with sin anymore. If that's not your life, Lord, I pray that if that's not the life of someone here, that they would realize that they're not saved, that they're not in Christ, that they're not unified, and they haven't received the gift of salvation. They're not saved. Lord, I pray that they would respond and that they would say, they realize that, yeah, I am a sinner. I'm still in the flesh. I need to repent. I need to turn from my sin and, and surrender my life to Christ. So that way he will make peace with you. Lord, if there's someone here that realizes that they've, they haven't made, they're not living a life of peace with you. They don't have a relationship with you. They never have. They've, they've tried to do good, and, but their flesh has always taken over. That, Lord, this morning, that you would tug on their heart, you would save them this morning, that they would surrender to you. Lord, for the rest of us, Lord, may we be like Paul. That's not just doing things in vain, but may we discipline ourselves. May we purpose ourselves. May we have a resolve to buffet our body, to say, no, we're not going to listen to the impulses of our body, but we're going to trust in your spirit. And we're going to trust your word. We're going to be directed by you. And the more that we trust the spirit it is directly opposed to the flesh, that it will change, you will change our life. The only way our life changes is through your work in our life. You work in us for your good pleasure. For to, Lord, you are sovereign over us. May we say that this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.